Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host... I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, this is Earl Oliver from Sully Finish Wrestling. This is Raj Geary with WrestlingInc.com. This is Sean Reed, boxing writer and undercover low-key wrestling fan. And you're listening to Duke Love Wrestling. Woo! Welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast, the show about pro wrestling and everything else. That's right, baby. The Duke coming to you from sunny Boston, Massachusetts. Listen, I want to give a shout out to all of the, not only the the wrestling gods, but the weather gods out there. Okay? I have been complaining about that crazy heat wave that we were dealing with for a while, and the weather broke. I told you about this last week. It has stayed that way. It has not gotten too hot since. I am just over the moon, so happy that I don't have to deal with the nasty, hot, sticky weather. I'm a polar bear. Come on. Come on. You know this, folks. I'm a polar bear. So I can't be dealing with that hot weather. That's right. On today's show, we're going to be talking to our man, Reed, about the Daniel Cormier fight. Oh, my God. It was just... Something you're going to hear from Reed, you understand. It was ridiculous if you haven't seen it yourself. Um, and of course, I'll be pontificating on the past week in pro wrestling. There's a lot that has gone on, a lot to say. But before we get to any of that stuff, I want to bring back somebody who has just completely impressed me out there on the indie scene and continues to make a name for themselves out there. And on top of that, which is just so important. This person is connecting with you, the fans, and finding creative ways to build their following as they continue to push to become one of the biggest stars in all of pro wrestling. So without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, the man, the myth, the legend, marvelous Marco Mania. Marco, what's going on, brother? What's up, Duke? How you living, bro? I'm just glad that it's not so hot over here in Boston. I know that where you're at on the West Coast, you you prefer that kind of weather, but I can't deal with that, bro. We got a little bit of a heat wave going on right now. It's like it's been in the hundreds where I'm at in the Bay Area. So uh, it's just it's that time of the season for us. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Now, you guys don't get much rain either, right? We we get enough rain. I'll I'll put it like that. We get enough rain. <laughs> Okay, so anyone who's trying to uh, grow their own, you know, their urban gardens or something like that, Marco says you get enough rain. So, you know, don't don't start complaining. Send your complaints to Marco Mania, please. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Listen, Marco, I, I've been very impressed with the way that you've continued to build your following. And it's been really interesting to see because I've known about you, uh, I guess it's been about a year now since we've connected with each other. Mm-hmm. And you have just... There's been such tremendous growth. It's almost as if something clicked and you, you figured something new out. 
what is it about what you're doing right now on social media and how you're finding creative ways to attract more fans? Did, did you read a book or did somebody, you know, whisper something to you or was this always part of the plan? Uh, I think for me, people, they've always known how passionate I am about pro wrestling. So my friends and family who knew me before, they see the hard work, they see the grind, they see the hustle. And it's something that uh, they, they can appreciate and they respect. And like for all, all the new people, what's been really cool is, uh, you know, they've seen the struggle and the perseverance. And I'm a Scorpio, so I'm one of those people who – I get my mind fixated on something and I will it into existence. And that's just been my experience with pro wrestling so far is just really, you know, once I'm determined to do something, there's no stopping me. You know, I, I do my research. So I've checked out your fan base and, and who's part of it, what have you. And there's so much diversity, so many interesting uh, people from all walks of life who are really digging this Marco mania stuff. Tell me something though, Marco, you personally, how long would you say that you've been a openly gay Latino man? Oh, dude, what? Seriously? This, this is something that I, I don't have a choice, right? I wake up every morning. There's no hiding it. I am who I am. I was born Latino. I was born gay. It's not just something that I walk into and I go, oh, this is going to be a fun hat to put on and act, right? I mean... Every morning I wake up, I put my feet on the ground, and I am who I am, openly gay Latino, and I'm proud of it. And that's what makes me the head llama in charge, right? So there's no, there's no running or hiding from it, dude. So that's what it is. So, so your entire life, this is who you've – you're not playing a, a, a gimmick or a character. This is who you are. <laughs> no, I, this is not a gimmick. This is who I am, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, – people respect it and they appreciate me because uh, there's no, there's no hiding from it. Uh, It's not a gimmick. It's not me cutting a promo to win anybody over or to, uh, you know, get myself over. This is just what it is, dude. Well, okay. Well, you heard that there folks, Marco mania. This is who he is. You know, you for a while there, especially when you first started off, you were primarily working shows that were LGBTQ plus focus shows. I mean, for the most part, everybody on the show was part of the community and what have you. But I've noticed that there's been a shift more recently where I'm starting to see you pop up on shows that maybe LGBTQ plus is not the focus. And it's really, you know, just what anyone would call a standard wrestling show. So, What's going on with that? First of all, why did you start off primarily just working one type of show and why the change? So for me, so I would go to the Wrestling for Charity shows in San Francisco because I I felt comfortable there, right? I spent the last eight years really working in the Castro with the Gay Basketball League in the Castro and then working at a bar in the Castro and really – uh, cultivating myself in my community and building that comfort level to the point where I was going to these shows that were heavily um, LGBTQ plus friendly. And uh, my trainer 
Rick Luxury after a show was like, you need to start training with me. And my main concern was, what is it going to be like? I've spent all this time the past eight years in the Castro within this, you know, because, you know, we live in, in a progressive bubble there. And to now venture out into the suburbs and have to train with straight people. Are they going to accept me? Are they going to be homophobic? Are they going to be shady? And to get the reassurance from the owner, Tim Bartlett, like, we're all inclusive. No one's going to mess with you. It's a family here. And, you know, words mean something, but the actions are, are completely different. And to actually experience that they're, they are all inclusive and all accepting and uh, to be on shows where the majority of, of the wrestlers are straight, it was, I, I was a little concerned at first, you know, what is this going to be like again? Because I've spent the past eight years surrounded by the entire full spectrum of the rainbow in the LGBTQ plus community. And it's actually been uh, really surprisingly all inclusive, all accepting and, uh, I really couldn't have asked for a better experience so far, you know, like knock on wood. That's interesting. You know, working a particular type of show for so long and then mm -hmm. doing the complete opposite, so to speak, was there concern that that transition wasn't going to be as easy? I'm going to be honest with you. I was really concerned, right? Because again, we surround ourselves with this like force field of comfort. And I was really like, Oh, what are the, you know, mom and dads in the East Bay of the Bay Area? What are they going to say when they see me? Are they going to look at me and clock me right away and like tell their kids, cover your eyes, this guy's uh, a homosexual, right? I don't know, you know, how that was going to be. But uh, again, it's actually been the complete opposite of that, where I've even had I had my first fan experience, you know, before COVID happened, I was at the park with my friend and, and uh, his kids. And there was a little kid who came up to me and was like, hey, I know you. You're that one wrestler at East Bay Pro Wrestling. And he's like, I really like you, but I don't like your manager. <laughs> so that was pretty cool to actually have a little kid come up to me and go, hey, you're a really cool wrestler. I recognize you. Tell me the truth here, Marco. And this can be our secret here and, you know, between you, myself, and the listeners, how important is that awesome beard that you've grown and groomed and what have you? <laughs> is this the real secret to the Marco Mania success? I think it's part of it because that's where I keep a majority of my secrets is in my beard. So uh, <laughs> once I started growing my beard and keeping it, that was definitely something that was a confidence booster that really kind of helped me out just get through some, it's going to sound so crazy, but it kind of helped me get through some really tough times, you know, just uh, seeing myself clean shaven. It's like, okay, you know, you're cool or whatever, but seeing myself with my beard and then I get my gear on, it's just like, Oh, I feel like such a badass. That is something else. Now, do you have any tips? Because everybody knows the Duke is a beard guy. I, I mm -hmm. do my conditioning. I do my oils. I, I brush it. I, I comb it. Like I'm very serious about this. And Marco, no matter what I do, my beard could never look as, 
as fabulous as yours. So you got to tell me what, what's what's up with the beer. Can you give me any tips here, dude? You just gotta you just gotta love on your beard. I do the same thing. I have my beard shampoo that I do. I have my beard oil. I kind of you know massage the oil in. I uh, give my beard positive affirmations, and uh, you know I just really treat it nice. Treat it treat it how a beard should be treated. All right. I'm not going to let you get away that easily, Dal. You got to give us an example <laughs> of a positive affirmation for your beard, because I, I've literally never heard of this before. Give us an example. You know, it's you're in the morning, you're looking in the mirror, you're tending to your beard, doing your grooming routine. Give us an example of a positive affirmation. What do you, what do you you're say? You're fresh out of the shower. You kind of put the towel on it, dry it off a little, but it's still, it still, it still has, you know, a little uh, wetness, which is good. And, you know, you massage your beard oil and you, 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 you fluff it out and you look at it and you just go, oh man, you are just so gorgeous. I don't deserve you. Wow. And that works, huh? Oh, it's been working for me, dude. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking to uh, indie wrestler, marvelous Marco mania who's not only given us uh, his life story, but he's also given us some great beard affirmation tips. So I need to try that. I need to start positively uh, reinforcing the fact that my beard is awesome and maybe he'll grow a little thicker for me and be cool like marvelous Marco Mania's beard, (laughs) I'll tell you. You know, Marco, it's funny because in the wrestling industry, when we think about Latino wrestlers, everybody wants to think about Lucha Libre and... That fast, jumping up and down, flipping around, maybe not always telling complete stories, but there's a particular style of wrestling that no matter what part of the world you or your your family is originally from, um, there's always an expectation or assumption that that's what you got to do and that's the, that's the box that you're going to stay in. But you're not that. Marco Mania is, is not that at all. So talk to me about the challenge of overcoming the stereotype of what a Latino pro wrestler is supposed to be? So, for example, right, when you ask a lot of Latinos, who's your favorite wrestler, they're going to say Eddie Guerrero is probably number one for a lot of them. I mean, I'm even wearing my LWO hat. For me, Eddie Guerrero's like the Latino god of wrestling, right? He's, regardless of race, he's like, number one for me, and then Macho Man's number two, and then they'll name drop Rey Mysterio Jr., Mil Mascaras, Juventud Barrera, Psychosis, you know, a lot of the famous luchadors, uh, La Parca. But for me, right, the reality is I'm five foot 11, I'm probably 240. I'm not one of those guys who's gonna go to the top rope and do a frog splash. I would love to do that, but for me, at the end of the day, I like to beat people up. So I don't want to do that by flying off the top rope, having someone move out of the way, and then I have to eat a frog splash, right? I'd rather beat someone up and and tap them out or hit somebody with a flying knee, knock them out and pin them. Uh, For me, my size, I'm not somebody who uh, would want to risk all the high flying moves, the jumping out of the ring, because that doesn't work for me. Right. And I want to prolong my wrestling career and I don't want to have dozens and dozens and dozens of surgeries on my knees, on my ankles, 
So uh, those styles, right, incredible. But for me, I just knew early on that was not going to work for the type of wrestler I wanted to be. So growing up, I was always a big guy. So the wrestlers that I would gravitate towards were the big, strong monster guys like Stan Hansen, Bader. Those are two guys that, again, they would get in the ring and they would beat people up. And that's, for me, that was like who I gravitated towards is like, I, I can relate to them because of their size. And I just, for me, it was always fun to see that, that battle. Are the, is Vader going to beat up Sting? Is Sting going to throw a banana peel and Vader's going to slip on it and then Sting beats him? Same with Ric Flair versus Vader or Stan Hansen and his many battles in Japan that he had. Those were kind of the, the wrestlers that I really looked up to and uh, now who I really try to model, uh, model my um, kind of my wrestling abilities after. Uh, I would love to do all the high-flying spots and the luchador stuff, but I just realized, you know, is that something that's really going to be effective for me? When you're in the ring and what have you, it's easy to be drawn to you because you're, you're a nice person. But then when we see the, the bell rings, you start beating the hell out of your opponent. And it's like, oh, wait a second, this, guy, <laughs> this guy's a little rough around the edges here. Yeah. So that explains a lot. It's, it's interesting yeah. that you can turn that switch on at the drop of a dime. But when we hear that you're inspired not only by the luchadors and what have you, but really your wrestling style is, is a lot closer to a Stan Hansen or, as you said, Vader. I see that in what you do out there. So that's, mm -hmm. that's good to know there. On the national stage, we are in a, a time period in our lives unlike any other period. We're starting to see more representation of all different mm -hmm. types of people. We're talking ethnicities and sexes and orientations and what have you. Um, with that, though, comes a lot of criticism. At times, people try to undermine progress and what have you. So let's dig into this because I've seen certain populations and even within the LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. I've seen certain populations who it almost feels like they go out of their way. Once they find out that a particular wrestler is also LGBTQ plus, they go out of their way to, to ride that wrestler and say negative things about them and, and generally just not support. Have you ever either experienced or at least seen something like that within the fandom? And, and what are your thoughts on that? So for me personally, I don't have any, I can't say anything negative because I know from my community, the support that I've received has been overwhelming. There was a show we did in February where just word of mouth, I was telling all my friends and I think maybe 20 of my friends showed up, maybe like 15, 20 showed up for my match and it was the tag match where we won the WWZ tag titles, right? And the owner, he, he noticed it and my trainer was like, this is just, look at these 20 people who came to see Marco wrestle tonight, right? And imagine five times this at the Pride show to see Marco wrestle. That's what it's going to be like. And the owner was just like blown away because it was a sold out show. It was a wrestling war zone show. And usually those shows don't really do that well. So 
when, you know, when he sees it with his own eyes, it's kind of like, wow, this is happening and under my roof, this is incredible. Now I have seen examples of people in our community um, who they're like, they're woke fishing where they present themselves as pro LGBTQ plus, I want everybody to win, but then, you know, it blows my mind when someone like Sunny Kiss has a match against Cody Rhodes on national television and they're silent or the AEW figures start coming out. And I'm like, I cannot wait for the Sunny Kiss figure. And it's like, I would be shocked if there was ever a Sunny Kiss figure. Now for me, somebody like Nyla Rose, Sunny, Sunny Kiss, Effie, these to me are, it's not even just about them as a wrestler. It's about the progress that they are representing right in front of our eyes. And I have, I, I have so much love in my heart for them. It would be foolish for me not to respect them and to support them like 110% support them. What Effie was going to do in Tampa with this big gay brunch, create this huge platform. He was the only openly gay wrestler in Tampa that weekend who was going to put on a show specifically to highlight the entire full spectrum of the LGBTQ community. And we had a good amount of people from our Facebook group, LP, LP, LGBTQ plus pro wrestling community. So LPWC, we had a good number of us that were going to go front row, the whole VIP package. And I was so excited to be able to meet Effie, Sunny Kiss. Uh, um, Mike Perro was going to be there. Um, Cassandra was going to be there. Cassandra was somebody that I've looked up to for years. And to see certain people where they're just like, nah, I don't really care about them. It's just like, it blows my mind because this is progress that we, we get to experience with our own eyes. We, we get to be part of this. So it's not even just about the wrestler. It's about that progress that they are, that they are, uh, that they're, experience that they're pushing right now right on national television there's sunny kiss is somebody who's black as fuck femme as fuck and you've never seen a wrestler as honest as sunny kiss is on tv and to see sunny kiss kicking ass all i can do is stand wow powerful yeah powerful and you know it's it's when i hear you discuss this issue it really is familiar to me because mm -hmm. <clears throat> like you said, you've been a gay Latino man your entire life, right? So I, I, I've been a black straight man my entire life. Uh, a lot of times, and we know we're, it's election season here, so this is coming up often, but a lot of times folks like to put black people in a box as if mm -hmm. we're just one way and we only think one way and there's only one way to to be black or what have you not realizing mm -hmm. there's an abundance of, of diversity and of not only culture and what have you but also uh ways of thinking but at the same time when you recognize pioneers people who are tearing down walls and who are making the path easier for anyone who comes after them it is a little disappointing to see people go out of their way to tear folks like that down. Totally. So I completely uh, relate to what you're saying here. Um, with that said, though, let me ask you on a personal level, Marco Mania, 
Mm-hmm. Are you prepared for the good, the bad, and the in-between that goes along with being an icon? Well, me personally speaking, I mean, that's just something that uh, I have no... I. I am ready for it. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, that's something that I've had to deal with my entire life, right? Working in the Castro, uh, it's the same thing, right? You know, uh, I I lost 100 pounds while working at a bar in the Castro, and people were so uh, face. They're so face. A lot of them could be really face value. When when I was bigger, they go, oh, you know. Um, uh, I don't know what you're doing working at this bar. You, sh- you know, it's really attractive people should only be working here and you're too big, you're too this, you're too that. And it was just one of those things where, boom, I lost the weight and those same people were like, you're so hot, da-da-da-da-da, you look so good. And it was just like, I, I remember how you were, but now that I have a little shine to me, you're acting real different because my my glow up is happening. And, you know, it's, it's, it's recognizable. And uh, it's just one of those things where, uh, like Darren Young says, you block the hate, right? It's just one of those things where I'm not going to be bothered by, um, you know, just that, that negative energy because I'm somebody that I'm not always going to be that light. But when I'm not that light, I want to be a reflector to reflect light when I can't actually be that light. Well said. Well said. Marco, let everybody know, first of all, how can they reach out to you, not only fans, but promoters, people that would like to have you on their shows? And also, I know that you know of um, some access to some of your matches there so people can Mm -hmm. actually support in that way as well. Let everybody know everything, please. Oh, I've made it so easy. All my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I need to do better on Twitter. That's one of those things where I'm kind of – uh, that's like my 2021 goal is to really get going on Twitter, but it's at Markomania51 on all my social media. It's really easy. There it is. And what about the matches, Marco? Do, do you have any uh, suggestions on how people can get some of your Go matches? Go to YouTube. It's so easy. Go to YouTube, search Pro Wrestler or Pro Wrestling Markomania. And also, we have this really cool thing we're doing with East Bay Pro Wrestling during quarantine. We're putting out shows every two weeks. It's um, sanitized. Right now, we're on sanitized episode six. So if you go to Facebook and you search East Bay Pro Wrestling, it's right there on the Facebook page. And it's a $5 donation. And you get uh, the shows. It's every two weeks, and it's really great quality. We're using high def cam- um, high definition cameras to record everything. And um, episode seven, I'm in a uh, four way singles match. That uh, it was so much fun. I can't wait till that one comes out as well. Uh, so that way you can kind of see just you know heal Marcomania how I operate when you know all the odds are stacked against me. Okay, so I'm going to make an announcement, folks, and and Marco doesn't even know anything about this. Let's do a contest. So anyone listening here, I'd like you to go to Marco Mania. That's all of your social media, right, Marco? Yeah, Marco Mania 5-1. Okay, Marco Mania 5-1. Give Marco Mania, so that's, spell it out for us, Marco. M-A-R-C-O-M-A-N-I-A 5-1. If you give Marco Mania 5-1 a follow on Twitter, and Marco will start tracking this, um, 
let's start tracking this from the day that this episode airs. So it's going to be this Thursday. We'll go mm-hmm. from Thursday to Wednesday. And whatever we have, we'll randomly pick a winner. If you follow Marco Mania on Twitter and you follow the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, so you got to send me uh, screenshots, <laughs> folks, at Duke Loves Wrestling. Um, but if you follow both, I am going to select one person and I'm going to gift them one of the East Bay uh, videos, whatever the latest one is, so you get a chance to see Marco Mania in action. Okay? So Duke Loves Wrestling will gift you one of the uh, promotions events there. How's that sound? Dude, that's why you're the genius. See? See? That's it. That's it. <laughs> Listen, Marco Mania, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. I appreciate you not beating me up when I asked you how long you've been a uh, gay <laughs> Latino man. I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of folks who have a journey Yeah. when it comes to revealing who they really are to the world. And that yeah. goes on all levels, whether we're talking gender, whether we're talking culture and race, and whether we're talking sexuality. So... Folks who are listening, I know you're probably saying to yourself, Duke, why the hell would you ever ask that kind of question? But I'm asking Marco Mania this question because he is so open and so out. And so whoever the hell he is as a person, I want to know how long this has been. Have you, have you been like this your entire life or was there some kind of awakening? But Marco eloquently put it there and, and set me straight. You, this is who you've been. <laughs> so that's just you were born this way. So that's just the end of that. Wow, what what a great interview with marvelous Marco Mania. Just a lot of layers there, folks. Definitely a, a up and coming indie wrestler that you want to be paying attention to. And like I said, we're going to be running that contest. So please, you know, you can find more information on the Duke Loves Wrestling Facebook and Twitter pages. But I'll give somebody a a subscription so you can check Marco Mania out in action. Just good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, we're going to switch speeds here now because there was a major UFC event with a major main event that quite frankly broke my heart. And for all of you who have been listening to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, you know, for the past five years, you know that I'm an MMA fan. I'm a big Daniel Cormier fan in particular. And I just, I'm at a loss for words. So I had to bring my man back on the show, you know, the the combat sports expert, one of the most respected people who writes, discusses, thinks about, I don't know if he applies it himself. You know, he he may be one of those people who who creep up on you and put you in something. So who knows? But definitely somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to combat sports, boxing, wrestling, and of course, mixed martial arts. So without further ado, welcome back to the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast. My man, the Black Burt Sugar himself, Reed. What's going on, brother? Brother Duke, my man, before we get started, I would like to issue a disclaimer. Duke Loves Wrestling and affiliates thereof should not, cannot, and will not be held responsible for anything my crazy ass will say within the confines of this podcast. Continue, my man. You know, you, you've been doing that a lot uh, your last couple of appearances here, Reed. I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to wonder now. Are you going to say something crazy at some point? 
Duke, I have no idea what I'm about to say. That, but I have to. I want to issue the disclaimer just so no one will blame you. I want all the smoke. I, see, I'm different. I want all the smoke. So if you're mad at anything you hear in this segment, bring the smoke to me, not to my man Duke, period. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. So whatever Reed says, you know what, whatever I say too, bring all the smoke to Reed because I'm sure he knows some of that stuff. He might put you in that, put you in that move there. So, you know, watch out. Watch out. But Reed, what, what the hell was that main event, the UFC event this past Saturday? I, I don't even – I can't even speak straight because I'm just frustrated with what I saw. What the hell happened? Uh, Duke, <clears throat> it, it was tough to watch. Yes, I picked him. DC was speaking of Daniel Cormier. No, I didn't pick him just because you're my dude and I know you like Cormier. But based on the second fight, so first fight, DC catches him there in the clinch. Right hand, little short right hand, knocks Stipe out. Second fight, Cormier is out striking the hell out of Stipe, out wrestling him, but he got a little, <clears throat> excuse me, he got a little too confident in his striking. At the core, DC's a wrestler. We're talking two Olympic appearances. Your bread and butter, bruh. The reason you even had an opportunity to consider mixed martial arts at all was because of your wrestling your wrestling foundation. He's a wrestling coach at like Gilroy High School or whatever in California. In the second fight with Stipe, he got away from that, struck with the bigger, taller, stronger man who's not a slouch as a striker himself. Like Stipe actually has a bit of a, of a boxing background. So we saw Cormier get stopped in the second fight. This third fight, uh, Cormier takes Stipe down in the very first round. Now, Stipe got back up pretty quickly. But literally from there, it was, uh, dare I say, D.C. once again completely, completely deviated from his bread and butter, which is wrestling. Now, D.C.'s a good striker. He's a very good striker. He's got brothers from Lafayette, Louisiana. So in that southern, if you grow up in, you know, southern uh, impoverished areas, hands are, the, are the, the, the predominant weapon of choice. So I'm not saying he doesn't need to tighten up or didn't need to do mitt work and things of that sort. However, I guarantee you the first time DC fought, it was with his hands, knocking somebody upside their head. So he can strike, but again, you're fighting a much taller, you're fighting a natural heavyweight. DC at heavyweight, you know, he was an overweight. He was a dad bod heavyweight. No, no, no shame in that because DC could get away with it. But you don't want to play the game of a guy who's bigger and stronger and just as good at the same game that you're trying to play. So in this fight, it was a closer fight. It was actually a very good fight. But DC lost. He lost. Uh, I really don't have any complaints about the scoring. And even, even uh, people will say, oh, DC, you know, he got kicked in the nuts. He got poked in the eye. Well, he also poked Stipe Miocic in the eye before he got poked in the eye, and he kicked Stipe in the nuts before Stipe kicked him in the nuts. So all of that kind of balanced out. It uh, it leveled itself off, and I don't think in any instance, either way, was it intentional. But, you know, I heard DC's eye might be pretty bad off. It's an unfortunate circumstance when you're in a uh, combat sport consisting of open fingered gloves like there's no there's no the gloves are, are open and you can do you you shouldn't do what you want with them but they're there and 
especially John Jones, your boy. You know, he's our poked quite a few people. Inadvertently, we hope, but it was an unfortunate circumstance. DC lost the fight. There was no dispute to the decision. Good fight. I guarantee you, Stipe won't fight him again. Hey, I beat you twice. You knocked me out the first time. I beat you two more times. I don't want to fight you because every time I do fight you, it's a tough-ass fight. So I don't want DC to go out on a loss, but it's like, yeah, you're not going to drop back down to light heavyweight. Are you just going to fight a random heavyweight to go out on a win, which I'd be fine with. But you know, uh, his, his, clear, his, uh, his, his future is unclear beyond the fact we know DC will be a uh, UFC commentator and a wrestling coach at Gilroy. I wish him the best. Wish he had gone out on a different note. But, you know, it is what it is, brother. You know, Reed, I, I agree with you. It was a good fight. It, yes, and it would, absolutely. It would, it would have been an excellent fight had it not been for the fact that a two-time Olympic wrestler it stood up the entire damn fight, <laughs> tried to fight with his hands. I mean, it, it just it really boggles my mind that a, a world-class wrestler, a guy who was a UFC legend, because of his wrestling ability, because his ability to throw you, to get you in the clinch, to get you on the ground, grounded pound, do whatever he, he he wanted to do to you. Why the hell is this guy standing up and throwing hands with a legitimate fighter, a, a guy who may not be as, as – well, not may not. He's not as good of a wrestler, but he's sure as hell his game is a stand-up game. I just don't understand why DC has continued to be so stubborn and wanting to go out being a striker as opposed to sticking to what got him to the dance in the first place. And to your point, Duke, so – Okay, I get it. First fight, you're the underdog, and you knock this dude smooth out in the first round. So I understand why coming into the second fight, DC was overconfident in his ability to strike with Stipe. But at the end of the day, this man left you slumped, slumped on the ground and in, 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 on the side of the cage. He beats you down to the ground, literally. So while I still thought DC outstruck Stipe in the second fight, it obviously didn't end well for him. And the few, the small snippets of time that he wrestled, Stipe had nothing for him at all. Stipe's not trying to stay on the ground with Cormier for any length of time. So, yes, I don't, I don't get it, bro. And, and so after the, first, after the second fight, uh, DC said, hey, look, I had a back injury. I couldn't train on my wrestling as much. And all they sold before this last fight, hey, because of COVID, we're in a private environment. It's a smaller cage. I think uh, the normal octagon size is like 50 feet, and they were fighting in a 30-foot cage. Actually, no, the normal size is 30 foot. Excuse me. They were fighting in a 25-foot cage. DC was saying, hey, this is better for my wrestling. I've had a full wrestling camp. Took Stipe down to the ground in the very first round via wrestling. And they're completely deviated. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, dude. It's easy to get in there and feel like I can strike with this guy. But when you're in a sport where, okay, there's a time limit. So, yeah, you're feeling this way, and maybe you're getting closer and closer, but then ding, the bell rings. Now you got to start all over again, reset. And his corner has seen maybe what you thought you saw, so now he's adjusted to that. He should have, 
he should have sold out after the third round. He should have sold out to get Stipe on the ground, whatever it took. Maybe, maybe he was unable to at that point. I really don't know because he took. Uh, he, he he had a, like he finished the second round, I believe. Stipe dropped him, and then the third round, DC was taking some shots to the point I thought he was about to get stopped again. But I'm thinking Stipe got tired because then they just like laid on the cage. <laughs> for like a minute and a half, and D.C. recovered. But, I mean, I wish I had the answers for you, bro, on why he didn't wrestle more. That's that that that's what you're – it's like you got a, an Uzi in your right pocket and you got a 25 in your left pocket. And you got this big, tough guy coming at you, but you keep relying on this 25 in your left pocket. Uh, bro, you better grab that Uzi and get this over with. Do – do what you do best. Use your most effective weapon, which in DC's case was wrestling, and he just he just didn't. And I didn't see any reason why he couldn't. That's my thing. It'd be different if Stipe was uh, blocking a lot of takedowns or whatever, using his sprawl game, offsetting them. But that was he wasn't even trying to take him down. Like I don't I don't get it, dude. You tell me. You you you. I need you to help me in this in this one. Well, I'm just as confused as you are, Reed, and I'll tell you something. Listen, folks, I am not a, a, a mixed martial arts fighter. I never took karate. I never took boxing classes or anything like that. Of course, growing up, and, and some of you have known me for the years, you know, I, I got a pretty good right hook. So if right. somebody don't get it twisted. Don't, don't get, get it twisted, twisted now. now. Yeah, right. if, I, right. if, if okay. I had to bring that out, I'd bring it out, and that would be the end of it. And, and usually it was, it was quick. It was done. But I've never personally gone through – any kind of combat sport training or, or competitiveness, football, baseball, basketball, sure, but not combat sports. I'm, just, I'm literally just a fan. But I'll tell you something. I play the video games, okay? I, I play the video games, and you know, these days, the video games are so lifelike. It, it, you feel like you're, you're literally watching people go at it. And read one of the things that, especially with the UFC video games, I got a PlayStation 4. In the UFC video game, the best thing you can do as you're learning how to do the more technical stuff is you, you do an abundance of striking. It's like, a, it's like a, a Mexican boxing match where you're trying to win on points. You just keep throwing hands, right? right. Keep throwing right. hands, keep landing, landing shots, and, and you know, it starts to add up on points here. So the best thing you can do is just keep landing something, whether it be leg kicks, punches, what have you. I'm watching Daniel Cormier these last few fights with Stipe. And legitimately, I'm, uh, it's like I'm playing the video game where I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to keep striking and landing strikes because I, I, I'm good enough to do that much. But I'm not trying to win the fight, uh, at least in a knockout or anything like that. I'm not even protecting myself because I, I might have to eat two or three shots before I can land one good one to his face because of the, the height and, and reach advantage that Stipe had over, over Cormier. But I'm, I'm going to keep landing shots and hope that I can win on points. This is what I see when I watch Daniel Cormier fight Stipe. He, like you said, I don't even think he attempted a takedown even once. Well, he took him down in the first round, but literally. So when I watch big fights, I take notes. I remember in the round two, <laughs> the note I wrote was, wrestling question mark right where's the wrestling bruh you took him down in round one 
Yeah, he got right back up. I get that. Stipe has a degree of wrestling also. You're not going to just take him, take him down and keep him down every time, but make a concerted effort to keep taking him down. And that, that, that never happened, bro. It never happened. You're, you're, it's like somebody, somebody should have, uh, had his two Olympic gold medals. Well, I don't think he got gold medals. Excuse me, excuse me, but should have had his Olympic uh, credentials or something there to show him, like, hey, bro, you're an Olympic level wrestler. You might want to get back to that at some point. You know what I'm saying? But he did, and especially after losing the second fight, because he neglected it, it was, it was my, it was mind boggling, dude. It was mine. And DC, the reason he has his UFC commentary job is because he's a good strategist. He can plan his own fights. He can uh, foresee things mid-fight from a commentator's perspective and deliver it in layman's terms for people who don't know quite what they're watching. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a pro at that. But for the second consecutive time, his strength, his one clear strength, his Thor's hammer, he, he just didn't he didn't use it enough. It, I don't it, it's I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. Reed, what round was it that um DC got saved by the bell? I mean, he literally got knocked out. Let's just call it what it is. He got knocked out. He was he that was out round, on his feet. That was the end of round two. End of round two. He got he he got knocked out. Yep. He he was yep. taking too many shots and and this is the thing. DC has a chin, but it ain't that much of a chin. So that further makes me shake my head at him trying to play the strike game with the striker because it's like, well, bro, we've seen you get knocked out. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and let's put it out there. Let's put it out there. Daniel Cormier, he's like 5'10", 5'11". Okay, Steve Miocic is 6'4", bruh. Cormier, you know, he was, he's, a role, he's a dad bod, dude. I'm not mad at that. Hey, dad, dad bods need love, too. I'm not mad at that. But Stipe was even thinner than he was in the first two fights. Like, Stipe was ripped for this fight. And weight be damned. I think Cormier outweighed him slightly, but it was, in terms of functional weight, it was clear who was in a position to do more with their body. Like, and, you know, his limbs were bigger, he's taller and all of that. You really, you're, you're rolling the dice striking with a man who's considerably not just taller than you. It wasn't like Stipe's 5'11", 6'3". He's like 6'4", dude. He's considerably taller than you. Arms considerably longer than yours. Legs considerably longer than yours. You need to strike smartly with this guy. Don't just make it a striking match. But, I mean, that's what he did. That's what he did, man. Terrible. That's what he did. Terrible, terrible. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, Reed, I don't want to see another – Mixed martial arts, Daniel Cormier match. I could I could do without that for the rest of my life. I'll watch his highlights. I, I truly want him to be completely over with that. Um, I know that he's he's looking into the WWE. He might do a match or two and then just stick to commentary, which is fine. But as far as MMA is concerned, I am completely off of the Daniel Cormier uh, fresh fight train i'm off that train uh, i'm done I, i'll i'll take a cab man i i'm not riding on that train anymore. <laughs> i think he deserves a so here's the problem as i sit here talking to you i think he deserves a ride off into the sun this the steep fight was supposed to be the ride off into the sunset fight 
he made it clear I'm retiring after this. I'm going to get my heavyweight title back, and I'm going to retire as one of the greatest mixed martial artists ever. But he also said, hey, you know, I understand why guys keep fighting because you can't go out on an L. DC, he's, a, he's built a little different, especially mentally. You know, he's got a, uh, his wife is pregnant. He's going to have another child. Uh, he's very interested in getting his son's wrestling started. His son is like, I don't know, 8, 10 years old, something like that. Middle school age, maybe. But I would like to see him have a ride off into the sunset fight. The problem is Dana White can't sell it as that. So are you going to pick just some bum he can easily beat up? You know, where do you draw the line? You want to make it somewhat competitive. But I, I would like to see Cormier because I, I know fighters. That last fight, you're only as good as your last fight. And there's very few guys who want to go out on a lot. That's why you see like Chuck Liddell last four or five fights, all of them, he got knocked smooth out. He just wanted to get one more win. Let me just beat somebody and then I can exhale and, and ride off into the sunset. I hope DC gets that. I don't know if the UFC will accommodate him or not, but I get what you're saying. You don't want to see him fight anymore. I don't want to see him fight any meaningful fight. Does he need to fight Francis Ngannou? Hell no. Uh, <laughs> Jarzinho Rosenstrike, nope, none of those guys. I don't even want to see him fight uh, Junior Dos Santos at this point. Don't want to see you fight John Jones, who's threatening to move up to heavyweight. No, just just. But there, there's somebody out there he can beat. Get him a W, let him ride off into the sunset, then do WWE and UFC commentary. Simple as, simple as. You know, Reed in the in the WWE they are going to do the quote-unquote Thunderdome, the, the video screen where fans will be able to log on to their computer during WWE events and their faces, you know, whatever is on their screen will be superimposed on the Thunderdome. So it's like they're, they're live in the arena. Uh, it'll be free of charge from what I understand, for the regular television shows. But there is a charge if you want to be on the Thunderdome during the pay-per-view events. Do you think in this COVID-19 era, this is where we all should be going, all the different sports that are going to continue to exist, going to this concept of fans virtually being in attendance? Absolutely, bro. I. It's funny you ask. Uh, watching some uh, NBA bubble games like over a week ago with my family and my wife, not me, not my daughters who've all played basketball, but my wife was like, oh, that's cool. How do you, how do you go about uh, getting your face or likeness? Because she noticed in baseball they had, I guess, the cardboard cutouts. So now the NBA stepped it up and they go like the virtual TV screens or whatever they're doing. Like my wife was interested in that. That is a tremendous concept. I don't know what they're charging. And we tried to investigate through the NBA. We couldn't find clear information on how exactly to go about. Like we wanted to put our dog on there. You know what I'm saying? Because you'll see celebrities and then random people will just have their dog on the video or something, which is cool. That, that's what we were trying to do. But, brother, that's, uh, you know, in lieu of, of, of actual spectators in the stands, that's definitely 
a pursuable route. Definitely a pursuable route. One that every sport, every sport should investigate. Every single one of them. They should offer that option, but make it public. Uh, hint, hint, NBA. How do I go about this? Because if you make it public, then you can increase the prices. If people know it, you can do it for $100. Guess what? You're going to have so many people willing to pay $100 that you can charge $200 and then $500 and then $1,000 per game just to, just to have their likeness in the mix. So to answer your question, brother, that's – it's kind of like Zoom. Like, hey, Zoom blew up. You know, when, when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. Well, if you can't be at the game, uh, damn it, I can have my likeness at that game. And you can have your likeness at a game you never would have went to. Like, I'm not going to be in L.A. anytime soon or Portland. But if I can pay money to have my face show up during a, a Lakers-Portland playoff game, are you kidding me? At least let me know how much it costs to do that. That's all I'm saying. Let me know how much it costs, and then I'll, I'll do what I got to do one way or the other. Would somebody let Reed know? Let him know how much it costs, because I want to see Reed's dog on the screen there. Somebody let him know. Please. 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 <laughs> Listen, Reed, as always, man, highly entertaining, highly uh, informative. Let everybody know. How can they reach out to you, listen to your podcast, the whole nine yards? Let them know about Reed BBS. So, yes, I'm Reed BBS. BBS. Black Burke Sugar. Bachelor's in Boxing Studies. Uh, I'm on YouTube under the uh, name Reed BBS Television. My man Duke has also hooked me up with coffee.com if you would like to donate. Uh, the same guy you hear here, same guy that you hear here with Duke. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't deviate. I'm not Cormier. I don't let my wrestling go. I don't, have, I don't have a plan A, never mind a plan B, C, or D. I just do what I do. People either like it or they don't like it. So if you uh, you got a glimpse of this, if that's cool, if that's your flavor, check me out. I appreciate it. I respond to all comments. I may not respond in the fashion you would like for me to comment because your comment may be nasty, but I will respond, I promise you. And again, uh, full disclaimer, bring me the smoke. Anything I've said cannot, will not, should not be held against my man Duke, period. There's that disclaimer again, folks. I love it. I love it. Listen, Reed, before I let you go, uh, uh, EA Sports just released UFC 4, the video game for PS4 and Xbox One. Now, this is probably the, the most lifelike mixed martial arts video game ever, literally. I mean, you, it's like you're watching the real thing. But what I found interesting is that Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, so these heavyweight boxers, are special characters in the game. What's your thought on that, that crossover? Do you think that will actually turn into crossover in the ring, or are they just going to keep that virtual? Uh, for those two fighters in, in particular, I mean, we could, we could say that Tyson Fury has already crossed over. He's appeared. Was it, a, was it WrestleMania? I know it was a pay-per-view he was at. Was it SummerSlam or WrestleMania where him and Braun Strowman uh, met up? Oh, yeah. Over there, the, the greatest uh, showdown or what have you in, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which was a, a major pay-per-view for the WWE. Absolutely. So, I mean, Tyson Fury's already done it. 
I'm sure Anthony Joshua, excuse me, <clears throat> let me clear my throat and do it in my British voice. Anthony Joshua, I'm sure Anthony Joshua is looking at the money Tyson Fury's making from that. Like, hey, this is uh this is a scripted event. I just gotta learn these moves, da 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 da. And it doesn't even have to do that to lend his likeness to the video game. Maybe that's maybe that's the extent of Joshua's involvement. Or maybe he's interested in I don't know any guy who as a kid didn't love pro wrestling. I don't care what color you are, what state, city, country you grew up in. Most young dudes in particular loved wrestling growing up. And that and, and because because it started at childhood, it's always there in the back of your mind, man. It should be cool to just like me, I love to be I love to be one of them Jim Cornette type managers or something. Hitting somebody over the head with a, a chair or a tennis racket. You know what I'm saying? That that would and then they body slam. Like that would be cool, dude. Put me through a table. Do me like uh May Young got done by the Dudley boys. Long as I don't get hurt, hurt. Like that, that that would be exceptional. Like, especially me being a Ric Flair fan and Charlotte Flair, I'd let her whoop the shit out of me on TV just to say I was down on some wrestling stuff, dude. So uh to your point, I can definitely see more fighters being interested. The problem is how many fighters, like there's Canelo who's on that level. Uh, but right now we got younger fighters still building up their name to get to that Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua uh, level. But I can for sure see it crossing over because at the end of the day, wrestlers, boxers, mixed martial artists, kickbox, whatever, whatever your discipline is, you know you have a very short shelf life to make this bread, and then it's gone. So, yeah, dude, whatever. If you can sell your likeness, if you can be at WrestleMania or some other WWE pay-per-view, by all means, pursue it. By all and every means, pursue it. <laughs> you know, Reed got so excited there that he didn't even answer the question. Think about that for a second, folks. He didn't even answer the question. He went on a tirade about pro wrestling when I was asking him about the UFC 4, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One uh, video game. And he was going on and on about uh, pro wrestling. So, but that's my man Reed. I'm not going to sit here and, and mess with him too much because, like I said, he knows that boxing. He might put me in a mixed martial arts move or something like that. You know, Reed's not one to play with, folks. So you better watch yourself. That's right. That's right. So, again, thank you, Reed. And thank you, Marco Mania. Great conversation earlier as well. Just two great guests. Yo, folks, something has been spoken of a lot recently that I just want to touch upon before I let you go. There is a movement. There is a movement to have Thunder Rosa appear in AEW and take on Sheeta, the AEW Women's Champion. And let me tell you something, folks. You know that uh, here on Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast, we are 100% Thunder Rosa country. We love Thunder Rosa. She's been on the show numerous times. We support her. Uh, she has that Mission Pro Wrestling company that, you know, hell hath no fury. That's coming out in, in the next month. So we'll be talking more about that card and just the stacked lineup of the top women's wrestlers in the world. It's going to be incredible. But this AEW stuff, let me, let me just say this, okay? 
Thunder Rosa is not going to be, she's not even going to step foot in an AEW ring. And I, I feel this way because, quite frankly, all elite wrestling, Cody Rhodes and Billionaire Tony and the whole brain trust over there, they fear someone like Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa is one of the, the pound for pound best wrestlers in the world. Okay? Man or woman. If Thunder Rosa were to step foot in an AEW ring, first of all, she would beat the hell out of Sheeta. Take the AEW Women's Championship. And then she'd go find Cody Rhodes and slap that stupid smirk on his face that he always has. And take the TNT Championship. And if his wife Brandy had anything to do, anything to say about it, she'd twist her up and put her in a pretzel and, and make her tap out as well. So we know that AEW is not going to allow Thunder Rosa to be in one of their rings because she would, listen brother, Thunder Rosa would be like a hot knife through ice cream in that company. And we know that they fear having too many strong, impressive women wrestlers around, okay? They already have a few over there, you know, like Big Swole and like Dr. Britt Baker. You know, they, they have Nyla Rose. They have some strong female wrestlers, Diamante, what have you. But they, they fear having too many of them around because then it messes up the whole ecosystem over there. You're going to have to have more women's matches on Dynamite because you have just too much talent to not feature the women. So you bring somebody like Thunder Rosa in there, and she's not going to put up with not being on TV. She just start beating everybody up. Then what are you going to do? Tony Khan, she might twist you up too. I might have to get you know a Harley Race briefcase and see if we can get her to do that on on AEW Dynamite. Maybe that'll get you to do the right thing over there. So I, I don't believe that Thunder Rosa will appear uh, in an AEW ring anytime soon uh, because they just I don't I don't believe they have their act together and that they would do the right thing and get out of the way so someone like Thunder Thunder Rosa can step in there. Because let me tell you something, she could beat everybody. There's not a person on that roster, man or woman, that Thunder Rosa can't beat. There's not a championship in all elite wrestling that Thunder Rosa couldn't take. Okay? Take. And then there's no one in that company. You and what army? There's no one in that company who would be able to stop her to do whatever she wanted to do in that company. So, we'll leave it at that. I, you know, the rumor mill, you know, folks like to start things up and I don't know if people are trying to leverage the amazing name of Thunder Rosa to get themselves over. I don't know. But I just know that All Elite Wrestling, they fear Thunder Rosa. There's no way they would ever let her step foot in the ring because she would hurt the whole company. She just beat them all up. Period. That's right. Okay, folks. Uh, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to others. Until next time, take it away, Tony Schiavone. Mr. Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.